0: Hello, everyone. This is Devin again. So in today, we're doing part two, the last part of my interview with Paul. As you can tell from the first part, Paul and I don't shy away from the heavier topics, such as the same with this episode. We get into topics of physical violence and things of that nature. We also talk about life and death and the afterlife. So I wanted to issue a little bit of a trigger warning and let everyone know, as these last year and a half under COVID have been really, really challenging for all of us. And with some of the heavier topics, feel free to skip this one. My goal isn't to change anyone's mind about eternity or convert anyone to a different form of thinking. I simply wanted to put out another idea, another way of looking at life and death and everything in between. So if you would like, feel free to join us and sit in and listen to Paul and I as we talk about our opinions, our perspectives, our thoughts, as we go into this episode about heaven, hell, and the afterlife. Thank you so much. So I wanna talk a little bit about uh, heaven and hell. (laughs) Sure. Because I've listened to you talk a lot as you've deconstructed your views on heaven and hell have changed a little one of the first things might be thing, but yeah. <laughs> just a tad for me one of the first things that happened and i didn't even realize it happened was that i simply stopped caring about heaven and hell i stopped caring about where we would go when we died and i started caring about the heaven and hell that happens right now Uh, And I'm sure I can tie that back directly to Rob Bell because he says it very, very beautifully uh, that heaven and hell start long before you die. But I stopped caring and worrying about that and started to just focus on like alleviating the hell that is here. So tell me about your journey with uh, heaven and hell.
1: Absolutely. Rob was huge for me in that. And I'll tell you what's funny. I always had this gnawing inside of me There was always a baloney meter that never quite turned off, even when I was preaching it, you know, especially when I started encountering beautiful people, you know, and just going like, well, this is, that was the slide away from the brainwashing, which is, you know, being a fundamentalist, I understand the advantages of it. There are a lot. You can really get set. You don't have to question anything. Everything's black and white. You can be very confident. I see people literally I'm like, how are they even saying those things? Their kid was just killed in a mass shooting and they're praising Jesus and my kid's in heaven. And I'm like, I couldn't do that. That happened to my kid? Fuck, dude. I don't know what's going to happen. But their mindset allows them, and I can't fault them for that. I'm not going to even try to change that mind. That's not my point. My point is, as Rob would say, it starts here and now. Do I believe in hell? Yeah, all over the place. I spend a lot of time there. Do I believe in heaven? Yeah, right here on earth. just we, we can pull it right down. right? I can see it in the, in, in the hope in somebody's face. You know, I just put this kid in a month ago, vicious, been homeless 10 years, 42 years old, and meth addict, and his mom needed help. She was referred to me. I put him in rehab. It's the first time he's ever wanted to go to rehab. He's been crushing it there. And she's like, my son is back. I haven't seen my son in over a decade. Mm. And I see him now. And I see in her eyes, I see heaven on earth. Yeah, I also saw hell in him, you know? Mm. And and it is right here. And I'm not worried about the sweet by and by. I'm really probably not the best pastor now. (laughs) Recently, this guy's dying. And uh, his mom wants me to go in to talk to him. I'm not laughing because he's dying. He's going to die you know and I love his mom his mom's like just an amazing woman and so I'm in there he's on his deathbed and he's just like what's going to happen to me when I die and I'm like I really don't know <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't I don't I don't have a clue I don't have a clue I go but I have a hunch so I have some hunches I'm hunching that whatever is over there is better Mm. Or it's nothing. And I'm good with that. I think the Jehovah's Witnesses are far more compassionate than fundamentalist Christians. They believe in annihilation, which is a legitimate point of view. They don't believe any God that's loving could possibly put people in hell. Yeah. They may cease to exist, but they're, he's not going to torture them. That's a Hitler God, right? So that's a far more honest theological position consistent with a loving God. Yeah, the fundamentalist. So, you know, I tell this guy, I don't know, but here's my hunch. And it was really funny because what started that was my dad. When my mom died years ago, died at home, died in my dad's arms. I was there. He's weeping. I really wasn't even crying because she had been gone so long in Alzheimer's. I was more relieved. Mm -hmm. I was more relieved uh, at that moment. Like, this is finally over. Of course, my dad. He's married to her almost 70 years. It's a cult. This, is, this, is, this is the most brutal thing in the world. He's separated from his wife. So I go over, like, like a typical jackass, and do the thing I always tell people not to do. Don't say something stupid to someone in grief. Just keep your mouth shut. But you mean well. So I go over, and I'm patting him on the back. And I'm like, Dad, I go, it's okay. She's in a better place. And he's like 90 years old, frail as hell. And he grabs me by the sh- <laughs> shirt, and he jerks me in about an inch from his nose, and he growls, how do you know? And I'm like, he's calling bull**** on his pastor's son right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, I, I, actually, I don't know. I don't know. But if she's not, we're both really screwed. <laughs> both of yeah. us
0: are we're we're, we're done. mom didn't make there's, it we're still no hope
1: for us <laughs> yeah we're totally it's we thought this was bad it's gonna get a lot oh, worse yeah uh so yeah. so uh, and 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 that's kind of where i am today you know i i i have far less fear mm. than ever before because i used to say like works salvation fruit salvation there were many times where you're kind of gasping am i doing enough am i yes am i right am i on the right path theologically yep. or not could i be you know and, and even fundamentalists in recovery at my church will often say to me afterwards you're like god i love the message i love everything that's happening here and they go but there's sometimes i'll be sitting in church and just have like a complete panic attack like yeah what are he is really leading me? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah man
1: and I'm like, yeah, dude, I know. I, I get that. But, but, uh, but yeah, so for me right now, whatever God is or whatever God isn't, whatever God's judgment is or isn't, whether there's an afterlife or whether it's just eternal sleep, which actually sounds good to me. Mm. Because I said that I was on the beach walk and I saw some Jehovah's Witnesses. And I go, I really appreciate that you guys don't believe in hell and believe in annihilation. Mm. And she goes, thank you. But don't you want to have eternal life? And I was like, that sounds so exhausting to me. right now. <laughs> Like, I'm telling you, honestly, if you start a religion selling me on eternal sleep, I could probably go along with that and be, be quite satisfied. You know, I, I I could be okay with. Yeah,
0: you. geez, um, I'm so tired.
1: Everybody. <laughs> yeah, because I'm just tired. Life is tiring, and. So I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I do know what's here and now. And that's, like you said, Rob was very, very in- instrumental with that. And I've never had, like I said, a richer, more fulfilled life in trying to make the world a better place and trying to make myself a better human being. That's something I'm always striving to do. I don't feel like I've arrived. I've, uh, and, and I don't mean that as a work mm-hmm. or a earned brownie points or gold stars. I'm just saying, I have an actual desire to want to be a better human being, and I like being in that space.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that that I really like that you talk about, and I think it actually lines up with Scripture quite well, is where you're like, yeah, I've seen hell. It's over there. And when you listen to uh, how Jesus talks about hell, he's talking about over there, over in Gehenna, like this awful place Hell is over that way a few miles to the left. And I, I like the connection between those two things, between the ideology of hell is a thing that happens here and can happen or starts before, long before we die. And I like just realizing about that connection to the physicality of how Jesus is actually talking about it rather than an eternal damnation.
1: Well, and He was talking about a real place. Yeah. I mean, it was a physical location. Yeah. I've been to hell. I've been to Jerusalem many times. I've rolled around in the grass of hell. I've been there. It was it was a <laughs> it was a place with a notorious evil past in the Jewish history. And some believe it was a a dump site because it was so unclean. Everything that was unclean in the city, carcasses would be thrown in there and dumped. So it was a rubbish pit, and that's where the flames were always burning and there was always literal worms eating flesh but if you think about the metaphor all of a sudden it makes sense to me like Jesus is saying you know what we use the same language Jesus is saying you're throwing your life away mm. right you're going to hell you're throwing away into the garbage can your life you know yeah we say to people where are you I'm down in the dumps <laughs> you know I'm I'm in the dump. I'm in the trash heap, right? We say that to people. We literally say to people, you're trashing your life. You're trashing your marriage. That's like this putting it in hell. Uh, like here, right now. And I think that's very powerful to use that word Gehenna and rather the, the bastardization of that in English translations of hell. Which most people always find that interesting. Like my Jewish friends, and I learned this in Judaism when I took Judaism courses, now, when a Christian gets in a big debate about this, one of the first things I try to find out, like, how much do they know or not know? So I'll say to them, you know, you know, the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, all those writers did not believe in eternal life whatsoever. That was not a Jewish perspective. You are ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You live once, and you die, and you return to the dirt. You're unanimated. You don't survive. You don't linger around. You are gone. The concept of the soul, Plato really designed, that became kind of the pillar of Greek mythology, where you find hells and Hades and abodes of the death and Elysian fields and paradise and things like that. That all took separate from the Jews the Jews thought the Egyptians were the most arrogant sons of on the planet, why? Because they thought they were eternal, they thought these people were nuts, they're building big pyramids and shoving gold and boats in with the dead person because that person's going to rise again, they're like no that's not happening eternality was in your progeny, so what had an eternal sense was the eternality of Israel and someday when the Messiah comes, oh, there's still going to be death. But if you die at 100, you're going to be considered a baby. Mm. You know, that's what the writers said then. When David says, my son cannot come to me, but I can go to my son. That isn't like what Christians say, oh, he's going to be with his son in heaven. No, I'm going to turn to dust. I'm going to join him in the grave. It's just the grave. It was during the intertestamental period, that 300 years, that Israel was now conquered by Alexander the Great, and everything became Hellenized, and went Greek, that these people who had a real theodicy problem, the theodicy problem that we see in Ecclesiastes, which tells us, the Jewish religion tells us, you act righteous, you keep the commandments, and you will live very long and prosper. Ecclesiastes writer says, bullshit. I'm seeing the exact opposite, I'm calling bullshit on that, right? That's not the way it's happening. So it was always a problem for them to rectify that. Well, that problem got fixed with the concept of resurrection. Ah, resurrection. That purely came from the Greeks. That concept of eternality of the soul was only when the Jews became Hellenized and started to read the Greek philosophers and put them side by side. And you can see their influence in the Apocrypha and Jewish Apocryphal writings and other writings. And therein develop a solution to the problem that, okay, so good people are going to die and, and, and bad people may prosper, but in the end, there's going to be a judgment, everybody's going to rise, and the righteous will receive eternal life, and then the rest can go to Hades, you know, which is also the Jewish concept. And that really became entwined, but original Judaism does not believe in eternal life. And I'm saying, I don't know. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. Do I hope? Yeah. I'd like to hope. I'd like to think, man, that would be really cool. I I, I don't think it's anything we can wrap our mind around. it would be really cool to see my mom and dad again. Mm. It would be cool someday to be reunited with my family or children. But I, I I don't know that. All I know is I got today. That I do know. I got today. And that is the one thing I know. And I have to operate and live in what I know today. And for some people, they need that hope. And I get it. That's why there's so many religions with great hopes of afterlives. Some ways you can make an argument it's an evidence. There actually might be because it's so strongly ingrained being sentient beings that evolved to this place of consciousness where we can think about what happens after I die. Most species in the animal world are not thinking about where they're going to go when the cougar eats them. Or (laughs) they're not thinking about that. I don't believe, anyways, but we do. That in itself is an argument. You know, I think the ontological ex- argument for God's existence is probably the best. I think, therefore, I am. I conceive of God, therefore, there could be God. Doesn't mean I know exactly what that's like or what it's not like, as a finite human, to ever understand that. So I don't know what's coming after. That's the part of the beauty and the mystery of it, though, right? And it's also part of what can drive you crazy. But uh, (laughs) especially if you want, you know, you want blessed assurance, you know, yeah, Yeah, I want certainty and blessed assurance. And you can jump into that with both feet and you can find it and you can lead a life where that is quite soothing. It doesn't work for me anymore. It can't work that way because it's, it's inconsistent with so many other things that are attached to it. I can hope for it. I can hope for a nice afterlife like I do. I personally don't feel like I need it. Honestly, I've had a pretty great life. You know, it's, it's the people I've visited in utter poverty and people who have known nothing but suffering that I would like to see have their, their chance of experiencing real love and wholeness and healing. Yeah. They deserve a shot. But that may mean simply that if there is no afterlife, what they get is literally what we say, resting in peace. And I'm good with that, too. I'm good with that. And I'd be good with it. I didn't ask to be born into this world. It's one of those things that really pisses me off, actually. <laughs> right? It really does. Like when I have these conversations with Christians, oh, God gave you such a. I'm like, did you believe most people are going to a place called hell forever? You know, how was. Is- could you check in with me first whether I wanted to roll the dice? Come <laughs>
0: on, that's so funny. I so the idea, you know, that nobody asks to be born. I actually like that idea for the same reason you dislike it. <laughs> I love it because it's one of those things that it's like, oh, it, it allows me to, in a more comfortable way, sit with the discomfort of life that nobody asks to be born.
1: Well, the that's person, embarrassing. Nobody.
0: Yeah, the people who have hurt me, they didn't ask for the trauma that was put onto them. Right. They didn't ask to turn into this person that they don't love, they're not happy with. They didn't ask for any of it, they just are. And I, I didn't ask for any of the experiences that I have. I didn't ask for any aspect of my life, the good or the bad. Uh, and that's part of what makes me more appreciative of the good because it's raining on you know the blessings from heaven are reigning on the wicked and the just right i love that because i didn't ask for the goodness i didn't ask for a wife to to love me even though i have no clue why she does um (laughs) but i have it and it's so to me the idea of like we didn't ask to be born i used to be angry about that that i didn't ask to be here god why are you making me stay and one of my favorite one of my favorite lines of a, a band called Me Without You when I was growing up, and I listened to a lot. But he said, if there was no way into God, I would have never have laid in this grave of a body for so long. Wow! And that hit me in so many places. And from a theological standpoint, I don't know how I feel about it anymore, but it still very deeply resonates. But what I like about life now is that I don't have to worry about doing a good enough job to get into heaven, which I was when I was right. saved talk about stress. and I was faith only. Stress. Yeah, I had to worry about doing everything right and doing everything well enough. I, I was so anxious then and now I have so much peace that it's easier to not worry about food, not worry about my clothing and stuff like that. You know, like Jesus said not to do. Right. And yeah, but I, I have so much more peace in the discomfort, knowing nobody asked for whatever they're going through.
1: Counselor, that was a brilliant counterpoint. <laughs> it was. and you know, I what? like it, I, you know, and I thank you for it. That's one of the reasons I'm loving this discussion because you, you just just now you really encouraged my heart. That is a very oh, thanks, very thoughtful, reasonable position to hold, and healthy. And thank you i thank you for sharing that with me cuz i needed to hear that and i i'll take that to heart
0: thanks it's just i used to cuz i'm a very angry person like i i have i'm yeah, um, a big old recovering rageaholic and i used to be so angry and so resentful at various people who brought trauma into my life and i was so angry at god for letting it happen because right. he said he loved me so why right. is he letting all this crap happen exactly. that me as a young child didn't ask for didn't deserve didn't want right and i was very angry but as i've gotten older i started to follow the trail further back and i realized oh this person who hurt me oh they were hurt too
1: absolutely yeah
0: they're just acting out what they learned yeah that's so and true. then i was like okay well that guy's the villain i'm gonna be fucking mad at that guy yeah and then I realized that guy is also victimized. And I oh. keep trying to find who who's the asshole that I can be angry at. And for a long time, it was God. I, I spent most of my life hating God. I've never really doubted the existence of God until <laughs> until later in my deconstruction. But like, I never doubted the existence of God. I just hated him yeah. um, a lot. And... And then as I started to look and realize about what I believe God can or can't do anymore, what I believe God is or isn't responsible for anymore. But as I started to look back and realize that nobody asks for the victimization that they experience, and nobody asks to learn unhealthy ways to love somebody, that we all just do. And once I realized that that's the thing to be angry about, is about the trauma that perpetuates itself systemically, it allowed me to be angry at that. And that is something that I can do with my anger. I can go after that while not going after them. And that for the first time is when, for a long time I hated the idea of like, love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh. But this is one of those times where I was like, okay, I kind of feel like I actually understand it. That I don't hate that person anymore I hate what was done to them, right. and I don't hate the person who did that to them. I hate somebody who taught them, them yeah. how to do that. Yeah, I hate that idea, that systemic oppression that we carry forward, and the idea that nobody, nobody asked to be born. Helped me get there. That was kind of like the final step in that puzzle piece.
1: Yeah, and and that that's have you, have you seen the movie The Joker by any chance?
0: Oh yeah, it's real good.
1: Right, I mean, <laughs> they give a backstory to his. Hmm. To his evil. Yeah. And it was evil that was inflicted upon him. Mm, not, yeah. None of his choice. Not yeah. his own mental il- not his own mental illness.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and
1: I've helped a lot of people do two things with that. Because I do believe, like Jesus teaches, f- forgiveness is huge in staying healthy. Yeah. But how can you forgive the unforgivable? By understanding it. Not by condoning it. But by understanding, once you can understand, and I've dealt with so many people in my life in this small town, it's unbelievable, for 20 years, who have had loved ones murdered. And I had to do the funeral for many. And, and I've had to sit with people in the aftermath of having their, their daughter literally kidnapped, raped, and murdered. And ask, here that question, like, why would God allow this? And I'm glad to say that I, can, I said then, even then, I was like, oh, God has anything to do with this. I mean, I just don't, I don't believe in a God of control that's in control of everything that's happening all the time, right? Mm-hmm. What control actually means, I don't know. But if God is in control, it's not of the details of what's happening in our daily lives. There's a lot of random stuff that happens. I can't blame that person for everything because that person is broken, yeah. definitely broken. What they did was so wrong, so inhumane, so, yeah. but nobody in their right mind does that, right? One of my favorite stories is when Jesus arrives on the other side of the Sea of Galilee at the Geras' and he's met by the demoniac, and he gets out the boat, and this raging, everything unclean wrapped up in this person. A, he's naked. B, he's self-harming. He's cutting his body, bathed in blood. These are like two taboos as a Jew. Nakedness, blood. Three, he lives amongst the tombs. Shoot, if a Jew stepped on a grave, he had to go through a ceremonial process. This guy's living amongst the dead in the tombs. He's insane. They try to bind him with chains. He's powerful. He's inflicting fear and terror upon everybody. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, because there are many. Now, there's a lot of political things in the background of this story. as another teaching. But Jesus heals them. He doesn't ask to be healed. He doesn't walk down the aisle, raise his hand. He doesn't go and get baptized. or He just takes this raging, crazy, out-of-his-mind person. And then what does the text say? It heals him, and he was put in his right mind. Mm. To me, that's an ultimate healing that I still need, that the whole world needs, that anybody who has inflicted harm and damage on another human being is still in need of. They're not in their right mind. And if you can create that space to understand that, then you can also create some space to let it go, to forgive. Not to condone, but to understand and be able to take that process forward. I had a friend of mine. He was, a, he was a murderer. I met him in ministry. Big, huge dude, man. He was much younger than he looked. He was in his 60s. I didn't think so. Built like a brick house. And I was doing some some ministry in a, a detention center, youth detention center. He was one of the counselors there. So I was working with Joe quite a bit. As a matter of fact, we're still in touch. And then my other buddy tells me, he goes, you know, Joe was on death row. I'm like, what? Yeah. For murdering. I go, can, does he talk about it? He goes, yeah. So like next time I'm with Joe, I'm like Joe, I just told you, you were on death row. He's like, yeah, North Carolina. I go, what happened? He goes, yeah, when I was 17 years old, I held up an armored truck and I, I killed one of the guards. And I'm just like, whoa. Because the Joe I knew, I trust my children with. You know what I mean? The man had a heart. And had a way with youth that was unbelievable. But you know why, though? Because he was one of those youth. He said, Paul, you know, my life growing up was getting up and doing crime. That's what I remember as a baby. I grew up on the streets, you know, and I doing drugs, dealing drugs. I I didn't even know who my dad was. At times, I wasn't even sure who my mom was. She was a crack addict and blah, blah, blah. So that's what I got up. I didn't know anything else. And it wasn't until he was on death row in prison that he got Introduced to Jesus, and became a follower of Jesus, and ultimately, he would also say I'm the best reason for the death penalty because they commuted all the sentences in the 70s to life in prison, and he accidentally got a life in prison with an opportunity of parole. And he was such a standout prisoner at one point, he got parole, he came out, and he made a beautifully married, a wonderful woman. They're married to this day, and uh, this was many years. Married, she was the one that you know led him to Jesus, however you want to use that language. But this is a really beautiful thing. And Joe's a beautiful human being. But Joe, that kid isn't Joe. Yeah. You know, like Shawshank Redemption. It's like that kid that committed that crime, whatever, 40-50 years ago. That kid's gone. You know, he died in here, and there's this other human being. And that's kind of way the way I can reconcile saying to people, I am a universalist, hopeful universalist. In other words, for me, if there is salvation, it's for everyone, period. Even Adolf Hitler? Yeah, even Adolf Hitler. Not because I condone the stuff he did, but that he was insane. And that's not whoever the creator is. If the creator is good, and my hunch is that that was not what he was intended to be. And he Mm -hmm. had some things happen to him. That shifted him. He had some things that were broken in him. Broken in his brain wiring. It, doesn't, it can be anything. And that's why if God's going to fix us, fix everybody. Fix everything. Erase the whole mess that was. And that's a gospel to me that sounds like good news.
0: Man, that's good stuff. I love it. I like the, you know, one of the things that you kind of hit on is that in in being able to understand for me at least, being able to understand that that person was a victim too, that that person didn't ask for these things, is that it allows me to be more loving to my enemy. Right. It allows me to have an easier time forgiving my enemy. Exactly. It transforms my mind because my anger is now directed into healthy places. Right. But it's one of those things that I look at, the Old Testament, and I see, you know, in the Psalms, I see in the promises of God and the prophets, it was this idea of beauty from ashes, yeah. you know, that from the dust, something beautiful and good and amazing could come up, right? and that's the the intimacy with the divine that I am starting to see and experience more and more.
1: And to me, that, that is divine. Yes. If you want to talk about mystery and divine or evidence for God... The fact that that happens and happened to you and that it happens to me and that it happens to Joe, that's like, wow, well, now you, now you got me looking up, you know? like
0: mm, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I love it.
1: And that's where my heart skips a beat in thinking, like, there really is something good behind all of this, something really beautiful, that it's going to end that way for us all, because you can't make this shit up. there's something going on here yeah i'm picking up a vibe from that and that's divine yeah and that's what i resonate so much with the words of jesus because i feel like he's doing that so often awakening me and my senses to the divine when so many other things could press my senses down to that and just be consumed by all the bad that's happening in the world and I love, I love what you said. I mean, I, I love, I'm going to really try to practice it. I don't question why I was born, but I am born. I'm here, and I'm going to do the best I make with it. You know, I, I have a son that's been afflicted with a uh, horrible disease, progressive, incurable disease called muscular dystrophy. It fell out of the sky. He was perhaps, I don't know, he's the greatest athlete in our families, a 170-pound wrestling champion, a all-everything volleyball player, but more than that, a CrossFitter. And the guy used to just rip off a hundred pull-ups, like, no, no problem. Unbelievable physique. And then all of a sudden, one day he starts losing muscle mass. And the next thing I know, he's shrinking and disappearing. And the next thing I know, the doctor's telling us he's got this disease. And we're just like, God, it wasn't his drinking. It wasn't his smoking. It wasn't his carousing. It wasn't, it just happened. Right. And you know what? We have to be good with that. Shit happens. It happens. So what are we doing with that? Well, he's living with it. And when I say living, I mean he's actually living. And he's doing what he can do as long as he can do it till he can. And then he's going to find something else he can do as long as he can do that till he can't. And then he's going to find something else he can do to wherever this ends up and takes him. And that's healthy. That's just like it is. Okay, so it is. So, so it is. So I don't spend too much time questioning like why I was born. Uh, you know there's sometimes when i'm super depressed in my dark place uh, <laughs> yeah that i go there you yeah. know and and that's classic ecclesiastes right i've been better off if i had been died in the womb i never seen the light of day you know classic despair that takes you there but your words have been very very encouraging to me i think and, and i'm very grateful for that
0: yeah you too man this was awesome i feel like we hit a great ending place this was phenomenal thank you so much for chatting with me
1: looking forward to seeing you in live and in person someday
0: so i wanted to say another thank you to my good friend paul it was absolutely amazing getting to talk to you and i am so sorry that this episode sat on the shelf for so long paul is now retired but i'm sure i speak on behalf of a lot of people over in ojai california as well as myself over here thank you so much for everything that you did, for being so vulnerable from the pulpit, for being willing to be open about your struggles, your questions, the evolution of your beliefs and all of those things. It's meant the world to me and I know several others. Thank you for your years of dedication and service before retiring and I'm excited to see about whatever life holds in store for you next. I love you and it was awesome getting to chat with you then and continuing to be your friend now. Thank you. Música